All right. Let me just say, like, tell you, like, up front, I'm like the most culturally irrelevant person in this room. I haven't seen Divergent. I know. Listen, I saw Big Hero 6 and Penguins of Madagascar because that's my life right now. Okay. I mean, I, I haven't read the books. I'm so culturally irrelevant. This is true. I lost a trivia crack question because I thought Honey Boo Boo was the mom on Duck Dynasty. That's how <laughs> clueless I am. But I've got like the best ministry team ever that as I kind of talked about what we were gonna do for the next five weeks, I said, hey guys, I want us to talk about, and this is gonna sound really boring, but give me a chance. I wanna talk about the, the values, the five values that our church has. What we believe uh, is, is very important. And so we started talking about these five things that we all kind of want to put into one, us as the church. And they went, let's do divergence. So they, they say this is going to work. I don't know if it will or not. So we're going to see. But I know when you say that, we're going to talk about the five values that our church has. And you may go, I don't even go to church here. This, is, this doesn't matter to me. But just stay with me tonight and hopefully over the next couple of weeks. What we're going to talk about, these things, they're not just about our church. They're about you. And you might've come in tonight and you might even, you might not even be a believer. You might go, I'm not, I don't even know if I believe in God or not. I mean, I'm, that's kind of where I'm at my journey. I'm just, I came with a friend. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Or you may go, I don't even care. That's okay too. In fact, some of the things we're gonna talk about over the next five weeks still have the power to change your life and make it better. And so I'm, I'm gonna promise you that. We're gonna lean into, the, into these things. So tonight, one of the things, we're gonna start with the first thing that, that we value and that's the family. And the reason why I started tonight with family is this, because everybody in this room has a family. You may not, I mean, you may not know who they are. You may not have both parents. You may, you may be adopted or something like that. And you go, I'm, I don't even know who my, my birth parents are. You may not know who your family is. You may not have a good family, but you've got a family. And family matters. There's a guy who did a study over the course of 50 years. That's a pretty intensive study. And what he did is he looked at, at young adults, 20-year-old and 30-year-olds, and he looked at where they stood as a 20-something or 30-something when it came to faith, what they believed and what they practiced and what they lived out. And he compared it to the way that they were raised inside their family. Here's what he found out. It's pretty interesting. <coughs> Christians, people who are following Jesus, somebody who's 20 in their 20s or 30s that was following Jesus, not just saying it, really living out their faith, which some of you guys are striving to be you. Here's what he discovered. The majority of those people, one of two things was true of them. They either grew up in a family whose parents were not believers or interested in faith. They had parents who weren't Christians, but they were a part of a dynamic youth ministry when they were in junior high and high school. And it, it changed them to, when they were 20s and 30s, they were still following Jesus. The other group of people that were following Jesus in their 20s and 30s were teenagers who grew up in a home with mom and a dad or mom or dad had, had at least a Christian parent whose faith permeated the entire home. Now, on the flip side, 20s and 30-year-olds who were like, you know, I'm not interested in, in Jesus. I've kind of, maybe, maybe they did that or maybe they didn't. Here's what he discovered. It was, the, it was the reverse. They came from homes where parents weren't Christians and they weren't involved in a youth ministry. That would make sense. But here's the scary thing. The 20s and 30s who weren't walking with Jesus a large majority of them grew up in a youth group. They grew up in a church with parents who claimed to be Christians, but they didn't live it out inside their home. They came and dropped them off at church and the parents went to church, and they, but they never had faith conversation. They never did anything of faith at home. It's pretty interesting. Now that's not, you might go, oh no, that's me. That doesn't mean you're gonna grow up in 20, you know, like be worshiping the devil and sacrificing goats and things like that. 
that's just the majority of people, you know, so you might have a more uphill battle. And so as a church, we've kind of leaned in and said, hey, family, because of that, family matters. And when you're a kid, like a child, that, that's great, right? I mean, like when you're a kid, you don't want to go anywhere without your parents. You know, you have friends, you're like in third grade and your, your friend's like, hey, can you come out? You want to have a sleepover? And you go sleepover. And then, you know, about midnight, you start fake being sick because you're like so nervous of being in someone, right? Some of y'all are like, not. you're like, yeah, I remember that. And you're like, I think, and call your mom, come pick you up at midnight because you want to be with your parents. But when you get to be your age, and you like hit sixth grade, maybe, maybe it's when puberty hits, I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden like you get into junior high and your parents become dumber, they become meaner, they become more socially unacceptable. Hopefully that, that flips back. We saw it tonight in the game we did, like, like some of our, like our eighth and ninth graders, like, would you kiss your parents? They're like, no, no. Uh, you got older and they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but there's that time where you're like, I don't want anything to do with my parents. I was a sophomore in high school. We had lived in Germany for three years, came back to Colleen, Texas, where I'd been born and raised there, come back my first day of school at Colleen High School. I'm walking in, I'm trying to get the lay of the land, trying to figure things out. And at that day, everybody was assigned a locker. And so I'm looking for my locker. You know, it's like locker 137. I'm in the wrong hallway. I finally get to the right hallway. Here's the 100s. And I go down, I'm like 137. And I'm like, dang it, I got a bottom locker because no one wants that. And I bend down to start doing the combination on, on locker 137. And I hear this voice. And it's a woman's voice. And the woman goes, hey, honey. I'm bending down my locker. I turn my head. My mom is teaching now at Clean High School. And her classroom is directly across the, from, my hall, from my locker. And I'm like, for the love of Almighty God, I never went back to that locker again the rest of the year. I mean, I was like, I, I don't want to be around my mom. Like, you know, I don't want, you know, people are like, hey, doesn't your mom teach? Like, is your mom an English teacher? I'm like, no, I'm an orphan. Um, my parents died in a car wreck when I was young. Uh, I didn't want anything to do with them, you know? And I mean, some of you are there. Some of you remember those times. It was difficult. But let me tell you this. It's not easy for your parents either. You see, there, there was this time when, again, like I said, you wanted to be with your parents everywhere you went. And, and they loved having you around. And they, <laughs> they built their, their life around you. And now they're in this, this crazy world where things have changed. And they're trying to figure out, do I, do I be a friend to you or do I be the parent? And sometimes they want to be, sometimes they want to hang out and go to the movies and just laugh. And, and sometimes they've got to be the heavy and be like, okay, you know, you're grounded because Sarah, you can't have a boy in your car. You know, that's, that's just the rules. Sometimes they got to be that way. And sometimes they have to say, hey, here, let's go to the, they got, you got, they do, they, they struggle through that. When it comes to spiritual things, faith, if I had a dollar for every time a parent came to me and said, I don't know if I should make my 16-year-old go to church. I don't know what I should. Here, here's what they're, they're, they're nervous that in everything that they talk to you about, hey, do you like this? I got this new music. Do you like it? And you're like, no. And they go, hey, do you want to go see this movie? We're going to go as a family. You go, well, I don't want to go see that movie. And they go, hey, we're going to sit down and watch a TV show. And you go, that's a TV show stupid. You know, and they're like, everything that they like, you're kind of like, I'm not real interested in. I know that's kind of generalizing. And so, so here's their dilemma. I love Jesus. Maybe they're not even walking strongly in their faith, but they go, I want my kid to, to have faith. So let's go to church. And they're afraid that you're, because they want that, that you're not going to want that. There's a guy, and you might've heard his name. He's way older than any of us in here. <laughs> the guy's name is Charles Manson. Now here's who, let me tell you, just, I'm not gonna give you all the grotesque 
Parson Charles Manson's life. Charles Manson is one of the most psychopathic, crazy people that ever lived in America. In the 60s, here's what this guy did. He had this people that they were called the Manson family. They weren't his kids. They were just people that he met. And we still don't know how his charisma, his, uh, he just talked people into doing crazy things. The Manson family, just people he met, he ended up convincing these random strangers who became Parson to start murdering and killing people. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, The Strangers, that's loosely based on the Manson family. Just random acts of murder, craziness, and violence. And it was, um, it was national news in the late 60s or, or in the 60s. He's arrested. He's been in jail for over four decades, 40 years in prison. About seven years ago, there was a 19-year-old girl named Elaine Burton. She lived in Mississippi and at 19. She liquidated her savings account, sold everything she had. She moved to Cochrane, California, because Cochrane, California is the city where the prison is that Charles Manson is locked away in. And two times a week, she started going to the prison, and they started dating. Now, they dated by sitting across a table and holding hands with a security guard watching as they talked. For two days a week, for seven years. And now they're getting married. He's in his 80s. She's in her early 20s. He's not even eligible for parole. He can, I mean, not, not, not out of jail. He can't, they're not even going to have a conversation until 2024. That's how, so, but she's going to marry him. So here, here's the deal. Elaine has changed her name because that's what Charles Manson did to everybody in his family. He renamed everybody. So she now goes by the name Star. She took a blade and did what the other Manson family members did and carved an X into her forehead crazy. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. In a Rolling Stones magazine interview with her, here's what she said. She told about her family. Her family were Christians who wanted her to marry a pastor. And she talked about it in two different times, how her family put this pressure on her to <coughs> be a Christian like them. Now, let me tell you this. When you start carving things into your forehead, changing your name to star and marrying a serial killer who's 60 years older than you, you're also kind of up here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that ain't, all, that ain't all normal. But here's what your parents are afraid of. If they push you, if they go, hey, faith is going to be a part of our family, whether you're interested in it or not, and we're going to talk about it and we're going to be involved in church and it's going to be important to us. Your parents on this deeper level are afraid and I'm making a, 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 I'm going to an extreme, but they're afraid you're going to sell your stuff and go marry some crazy person, some killer. That's what they're afraid of, that you're just going to run the opposite direction. But here's the truth, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to go there. It's the fifth book in the Bible. If you don't know where it is, go to Genesis. It's book 1, and you'll get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's the truth, and if, you're, if you miss everything tonight, get this. God's primary plan for your spiritual development is your family. God's primary plan for your spiritual development is not a church, it's not a youth ministry, it's your family. Now we're going to, at the end of the night, and we're not too far from that, we're gonna talk about what that matters because you're not a parent. So you might be going, well, that does me no good. We're gonna talk about that in a second, but I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter six. When you get there, what's happened is we've got a guy named Moses. Moses has been this incredible spiritual leader in the lives of of the Israelites, God's people. He's helped them get out of slavery in Egypt. He's been with them for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. And they're at this place. They're about to enter the land of Israel. It's been called the promised land that they're gonna, they're, they're gonna settle. And, and God has told Moses, Moses, you're not going in. And so most of Deuteronomy is, is Moses' farewell speech to the people he's been the leader of for the last 40 plus years. 
In Deuteronomy chapter five, he goes over the 10 commandments with them again. He says, hey, remember, here are the big 10. And in Deuteronomy six, he says this, look in verse four. He says, hear, O Israel, listen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So for the, for, for the Israelites, they lived around a bunch of people, a bunch of different groups who didn't, they believed in all kinds of different gods, rain gods, sun gods, gods of the field, all kinds of gods of the storms, gods of the, you know, the moon, all these different, but what made the Jews separate is they just believed in one God, the same God we believe in. Like his name is Yahweh, God the Father. And so, and so this was very important. As Moses says, he says, remember, here everybody listen, the Lord our God, he's one. There is only one that we serve. There's no other fake God. So that, that's key to the Israelites and that's gonna matter here in a second. Then look what he says next. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He says, listen, everybody, before I go, let me tell you something. God, there's only one. There's no fake gods. There's no gods of the harvest. There's one God, his name is Yahweh. And our job is to love him with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our mind. This was so important that years later when Jesus is on the scene and they ask him, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He goes back to this. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then Jesus says, there's a second one just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law, all the prophets, all of the Bible, here's the cliff notes of the Bible. You can't read all of this tonight. Here's the cliff notes. Love God, love people. So Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is surrounded by that. And so what Moses says is this, he says, guys, listen, we have one God that we follow. There's not a bunch of other ones. His name's Yahweh. And our job is to love him. And then Jesus out on that, to love people. Now look what happens next. It's the most important thing they can know. Verse seven, he says this, you shall teach them the things that he's just taught us, the 10 commandments, to love God, to love people. You shall teach them diligently to your children. God, Moses didn't say, hey, listen, we're supposed to love God and love people, so go find a church that teaches that. That's not what he said. He didn't say, hey, go find a youth ministry, get your kids involved so they can learn the things of God. He looks at these people, and it's, it's actually not just parents, it's grandparents, it's adults, and he says, listen, your job is to teach the things of God to your kids. It's God's primary plan. And again, I know you're sitting here going, that doesn't matter to me. Because some of you are going to go, my parents do that. Some of you go, my parents aren't even believers. Some of you might go, I'm not even a believer. My parents. And so you, what does this all matter to me? We're going we're gonna to get there. But understand this, God's primary purpose, his primary plan. What's more important than this youth ministry, than Wednesday night, than even a Sunday morning is your family and how Jesus moves through your family to develop your faith. So what? So what do you do? I want to give you three things tonight because we're talking parents. And I'll tell you this, I, if your parents were in here on Sunday, I talked to them about this and I kind of hammered some of them. I mean, that's pretty rough on them. Three things. Here's the first thing that you can do. Lead where you are now. Lead, you, again, everybody in here is different. Some of you are in a home and your parents, are not, your parents aren't Christians. They're not believers. You're, you're the most spiritually mature person in your home. And you're like now demoralized. You're like, man, I'm supposed to have parents that are, that are leading me in faith. And I don't, and that sucks. And I don't know what to do. You know, and, and you're kind of like walking out of here going, this is terrible. Lead where you are. If your parents aren't believers, then you step up and start praying for your parents. You start praying that God would do a work through you. Now, you know what's gonna happen next. Here's what you're not gonna wanna hear. 
The way you respond to your parents and the way you live inside your home is how your parents are going to see Jesus. Hello. Right? When you come home from Collide and you're thinking, man, I need to lead where I'm at. It's my parents' job, but they're not leading. So I'm going to step up and I'm going to start praying for my parents and trying to start some spiritual conversations in our home. When those spiritual conversations are started with you being disrespectful and disobedient and complaining and whining, here's what your parents think subconsciously. Why would I want to be a part of anything with a God, Jesus, who has my kid treating me that way? I'm going to tell you, if you have parents that aren't believers, you have a, a high, high, hard, difficult task of being Jesus in your home, but you've got to start leading where you are. And you know what? You're going to blow it. You're going to screw up. You're going to be disrespectful. Probably you're going to say, and you know what you need to do then is do what Jesus would call you to do is go immediately to your parents and go, hey, mom, dad, I should have never spoke to you that way. I apologize. That might even be the spiritual conversation you have. You might be able to say, mom, dad, man, I was convicted because the Holy Spirit... I, told me, Jesus told me that I should never treat you that way. And I apologize. I need to ask your forgiveness. That may be the springboard into a spiritual conversation. You may have parents who come to church, but they're not, they claim to be Christians, but they're not leading you at home. Lead where you are. You be the person that goes home and say, hey, mom and dad, this is what we talked about tonight. What do you think about it? Mom, dad, we read this verse. What do you, what do you, I mean, I, I, what did, what's your perspective on it? Maybe your parents are Christians, but they're not really plugged into a church. But they claim to be. Maybe, maybe you just start saying, praying for me, saying, Mom, Dad, can you come with me on Sunday mornings? We, we invite parents of teenagers into this room on Sunday mornings and have spiritual conversations with them, the same one we're having now, so that when I have it with them on Sunday and you on Wednesday night, you can go home and have it together. So maybe, that's, maybe you need to go, Mom, that'd be really important for me. Would you just try for, for a month? Would you try a parenting life group? Because I just want to talk about spiritual things in our home. It's going to be hard try it. And if they say no, they might say no. Then you start praying for them diligently because that's how you'll lead where you are. Lead where you are. Here's the second thing. Start small. If you're writing things down, start small. Lead where you are. Here, you don't have to go to Family Christian Store in Wolf Ranch tomorrow. You know, like if you drive and go get like a family devotion book and wrap it up and put it on your parents' bed and run out of the room. You know, like, you know, Mom, can we commit to every Thursday gathering around the fireplace as a family and praying for uh, the people of Zimbabwe and uh, people to have clean water and do a family devotional? And Mom, Dad, can we start saving money now so that we could take a, a family trip to the Holy Land so we could walk where Jesus walked? Just start, I mean, that's great. Wonderful. But start small. Look at back at this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy 6. Look at, look at what Moses says. Now he's talking to parents, but you can do this too. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Here's how. You shall, oh, I just lost my, my spot. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses on your gates. What he says is this, two parents, but you can do this. Just start having some spiritual conversations when you're sitting down at the dinner table. Have some spiritual conversations in the car on the way to school. Have some spiritual conversations as you're saying goodnight to your parents and you're going to bed. He talks about frontlets. Like, it's like you know, a, a bracelet is what they wore with the Shema, that hero of Israel. They wore it on their, on their wrists and they wore it in a thing on their forehead, which would be kind of weird today. I realize, you know, like the Jesus headband all day long. You know, that's, that's kind of what it was. But they had things in their house that, that they were put up. 
start small. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything big. Just start having some spiritual conversations with your parents. Maybe your parents aren't believers. You know, a great spiritual conversation is, mom, dad, why don't you believe? You don't have to attack them. Just hear, just listen. I mean, again, you're not, not angry, not trying to trick them into Jesus. Aha, you said this, you know, just hear what, you know, what you might ask them, hey, did, was, was, did grandma and grandpa ever go to churches? Maybe it's some family conversations. You know, maybe it's some things you read in the Bible and you just go, mom, dad, this is kind of cool. Have you ever thought about this? <laughs> just, just spiritual conversations. Lead where you are. Start small. And here's the third thing, very simple. Start today. Start tonight. If your parents are in bed when you get home, start tomorrow morning. Everybody's back at the gym now. Here's what I was reading the other day, like Gold's Gym and things like that. They have a 30 to 50% increase on January 1st, you know, that first in January. And here's how they make the most of their money. They make money primarily in two ways. The people who are like the Uber workout people that have like a sauna and tanning and massage and a trainer, they make money there. The people they make the primary, primarily most of their money on are what they call absentee members. It's all the people that signed up this month and they're not gonna go back from February to December. They're gonna pay the monthly or yearly fee and they're not gonna show up. That's where they make the vast majority of their money. And here's what happens to people like that. I say this because I can speak from experience. They do this, they go January and it, it gets difficult, you know, and they, you know, they're, they're excited, but then they start getting sore and they got other things to do and, and they, they miss two or three days <coughs> and this is what they do. They go out, you know what, I'm gonna start back on Monday. And Monday they go to the gym and then Tuesday they forget, Wednesday they don't. And they're like, ah, I need to go to the gym. They're like, you know what? I've kind of already missed two days this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start on Monday. And then they go, you know what? February 1st, February 1st is a good time to start. And then they go, you know what? Summer is gonna be much easier. I'm gonna start in the summer. And they're like, oh man, it's, you know, I gotta get in the gym before Thanksgiving. And they start, here's the key to, to breaking that cycle. Go today. Go today. So you miss Tuesday, you miss Wednesday, you miss Thursday. It makes sense. Well, I'll just, I'll go on Monday, but go on Friday. Go today. And here's what I'm saying. Don't wait. Don't wait for your parents to maybe come to the parenting team class. Don't wait for what you're, you're hoping. Just start today. Go home and have a conversation today. 2012, I think it's 2012. The United States had some of the fastest women in the Olympics. We had Marion Jones on our four by 100 team. Four years previous, that, that Olympics, Marion Jones won four gold medals in sprinting. She's on our 2012, I think it's 2012, I might have to be off. She, she's on this relay team. And everybody knows we're gonna, we're gonna smoke the Olympics uh, in the women's four by 100. They take off, first leg does it. They hand the baton off to Marion Jones and she takes off, fastest woman on the planet. She's going and she's running to the third leg. Her name's Lauren Williams and Lauren Williams is a blazer too. And as they're running, they've got this baton, they got to hand the baton off. They miss the, the handoff, so they practice all the time. You gotta, you're running and try to get to the person who started running because they don't just stop, you know, start like, hey, thanks. And then, you know, they, they start running ahead of them so they can get some speed. Miss the second handoff. Miss the third handoff. The fourth time they made a clean handoff but they were outside of the zone where it qualifies and the Americans were disqualified and we didn't, we didn't meddle because of a butchered handoff. Now I talked to some of your parents on Sunday and here's what I told them about faith. They've got to hand the baton off to you. 
Because God's primary plan for your spiritual growth your sp is, is the family. And your parents have to hand that baton off. But you know what? I'm going to be honest. I understand this. Some of your parents aren't good sprinters. Some of your parents aren't good. Some, some of them aren't handing the baton off very well. And Marion Jones has a responsibility to hand the baton off. But Lauren Williams has a responsibility to grab it. And you're Lauren Williams. You've got to take some responsibility to make the truth that God's primary plan for spiritual development is your family. You've got to take responsibility for what you can do. Now, here's what's going to happen. Let me tell you this, and I'm going to close. We're going to pray, we're going to watch announcements, and then do a giveaway. Your parents may never become believers. They may not. Your parents may never become spiritual giants. But if you start leading where you are, you start small with some spiritual conversations and you start to, and you're at, here's what's going to happen. God is going to honor that. And you're going to be a 20 year old, you're going to be a 30 year old who God is blessing and he's moving in your life. And you're going to look back and go, hey, I kind of beat the statistics. But it's because you did what God called you to do. Be the leader in your family if your parents aren't. Because families are important.